0: Hey there, and welcome to the Nutrition Edit Podcast. I'm your host, Jeannie Oliver, and today I'm going to be talking with Sarah Jane Yang about medical advocacy. Sarah Jane is a master's prepared registered nurse and healthcare advocate. Her time at major urban academic medical centers, such as Harborview in Seattle and Weill Cornell Medical Center in New York City, shaped her early career with rich learning environments, and her intensive care specialization gave her advanced training in cardiothoracic resuscitation and neurological emergencies. This scientific base has been a solid foundation upon which to lay disease-specific program management experience, hospital quality leadership training, and strategic relationship-building skills. During her 15-year career as an RN, Sarah Jane has earned additional certification and honors, including a 2023 feature in the Washington Post, a first author medical research publication in the Journal of Stroke and Cerebrovascular Disease in 2019, and in 2018, she received the Mary McClinton Patient Safety Award. She has also earned the Stroke Certified Registered Nurse Credential and the Critical Care RN Certification. Today, I'll be talking with Sarah Jane about what medical advocacy is and how an advocate can help you navigate the complex healthcare and insurance systems. Dealing with your own or a loved one's health problems is difficult and stressful enough without having to wade through the endless red tape and bureaucracy. But the good news is you don't have to go it alone. (laughs) And if you're in a caregiving position or you know someone who is, this episode is for you. So I hope you'll enjoy my interview with Sarah Jane Yang. Welcome to the Nutrition Edit Podcast for high-performing women who want to up-level their health and feel their best in their bodies, careers, and personal lives. In this podcast, I'll sift through the latest nutrition and biohacking trends to filter out the bullshit, share what you really need to know, and help you put the good stuff into practice in a way that works for you. You'll get actionable tips from guest experts and myself on how to uplevel your mindset, workouts, relationships, and environment, and start feeling like the badass woman you are. Join me as we bust through the bro-science and male-centric health paradigm. To help you achieve optimal performance, body, mind, and soul. Hey, Sarah Jane, thanks so much for joining me today. It's great to see you. Thanks. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm stoked to have you. I've been wanting to chat about what you do for a really long time. So let's just kick it off and tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. So
1: I am a health advocate. My background is actually. As a hospital nurse, so I spent 10 years as an intensive care nurse, primarily with a little bit of work in the emergency room and the surgery. And then I became, I worked in administration and I learned a lot about how the healthcare system works or more accurately to say doesn't work very well. <laughs> and and In 2021, I started Lighthouse Healthcare Navigation, which is the business that I run now and function as a medical health act.
0: Awesome. So what made you want to become a nurse in the first place? I would say that some combination of loving science,
1: having deep, natural empathy, and being codependent is probably what brought me to nursing. And any of my nurses out there, I think you probably know exactly what I mean. (laughs) I believe it.
0: I believe it. I I can relate to the empathy piece. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) For sure. Okay. So, as an empath, I'm curious to know more, especially about your four years in hospital administration.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so. My take on hospital administration management, I guess you could say, but really what I was doing was managing quality. Or specific types of patients, specifically stroke patients, but then it expanded to other types of neurologic disease. So, as an empath, I found my meaning by deciding that I wasn't taking care of patients as much as I was taking care of healthcare providers at that point. So, I tried to use my time in that role to support the people who were taking care of the patients. And that's how I was able to really find meaning and try to find as much good as I can in the work that we were doing. And so my favorite thing to do in that role was to take an individual patient story, say a stroke patient from when they had symptoms at home, they come in through the emergency department, they end up having to go to half lab, say, where they put a wire up inside and they try to do something to actually remove the clot. So blood flow is restored to the brain all the way to that patient being wheeled into the intensive care unit for three days and then on to the acute care nursing unit. What I tried to do was weave that as a complete story and deliver it back to the healthcare providers and show them, look what a masterful thing happened here where there was actually for one patient in particular. I remember doing this, and there was I think there was fifty six different healthcare providers that touched this patient within their first seventy two hours in the hospital, and blood flow was restored to that region of their brain. So it's like very exciting what healthcare is capable of doing. Mm-hmm. That is an area where I would say healthcare really gets it right. American typical hospital systems, emergency care, restoring blood flow, making hearts beat again. Breathing when you're not breathing. Yeah. These are things that we are good at as healthcare providers. I would say after that, it gets pretty dicey, mm. <laughs> unfortunately, at that urgent level of healthcare. And it's been really gratifying as now working privately for patients as a healthcare advocate. To try to make some of the other parts of the system work as well as I have seen the emergency and intensive care parts of American healthcare work.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. I definitely agree with that. We get the acute intervention piece. Yeah, I think we do a great job. Not so down. much the prevention or necessarily the follow up and rehab. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It really drops off,
1: and and that has nothing to do, in my opinion, with the quality of the individual healthcare providers. Sure. I feel incredibly protective of individual physicians, nurses, therapists, social workers. The weight that they are operating under yeah is enormous. Yeah. The amount of work that each person gets squeezed out of them by primarily the financial forces above them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's remarkable and crushing. It's crushing. It's absolutely crushing mm-hmm. and and I think that all of us get into healthcare because we we genuinely enjoy watching someone else get better. Yeah. I mean, if you want to become famous and wealthy, there's a hundred thousand easier ways to do it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's, it's...
0: Yeah. That don't require malpractice insurance. And...
1: Yeah. Or watching people suffer or all the times you don't have answers and you wish you did, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that what is able to be accomplished is actually remarkable. However, it's really important for the individual patient to understand how weak the systems are, hmm. I'm sorry to say, and how much personal advocacy is necessary for you to get your best results from healthcare.
0: So, Sarah Jane, tell me then, how do you define medical advocacy and how did you make the transition from what you have been doing in nursing into doing this?
1: Yeah. So a
0: professional health kit
1: is a guide through the healthcare system. You think of it like a local person keeping you safe and comfortable on an international journey into mm. a country that can be amazing, but also you don't know it as well. <laughs> the and ship- there can be hidden dangers that you aren't aware of because you're not local. So it's like taking a local with you. I translate the language because believe me, it's a different language. I read the maps. I stay with you the whole time. I make sure you or your loved one get to where they want to go. Another key difference between what a healthcare advocate does and what, say, any of your doctors and nurses do in your healthcare is my only concern are your priorities mm-hmm. because you're directly paid by the patient. Mm-hmm. It's an, a totally, totally different experience than having a nurse or a doctor who might wish very much that they could hold your priorities in the highest esteem and hold your hand through every step of the process. Right. The reality is they're dealing with forces above them and that is who they work for. They work for their clinic. They work for their hospital. They don't work for you directly. It's very indirect, the relationship with you.
0: Yeah, that makes really good sense. It's almost like a... a Political system in that way. (laughs) Yes. When we're talking, the legislator may want to vote exactly as her constituents wish, but there are lobbyists involved and other powers that be. So,
1: yes, absolutely. There are definitely competing interests Mm -hmm. and it matters who signs your check. It really does. Right. I've never had such uh, direct satisfaction of taking care of clients and patients because. It's it's us together and yeah. we're figuring it out step by step while having wonderful relationships with any different specialists that needs to be involved in you meeting your goals. I mean, they are they are key. We are navigating what they're able to provide us. It's not direct health care. So
0: I would imagine, too, that that's a huge relief for the practitioner as well, Oh, sure. that they have someone that's actually guiding their patient through and. Oh, yeah making sure that their needs are met on all these angles or these different you know, aspects of this oh, yeah. process that they can't manage. They don't have the bandwidth or ability. Yeah. Um, but naturally, I do think that most <laughs> physicians want the best for their patients, right? And yeah. there's only so much that they can do. So having right. someone like you that's yeah. walking them through the whole process is amazing.
1: Yeah, the relationships that I have been able to forge with, Physicians, entire clinics, nurses, medical assistants, patient service representatives at the front end, therapists. I could go on and on and on. There's so many, there's so many different ways that medical advocates are able to bridge the gaps in the healthcare system. And it builds this real sense of team around the patient and it it makes you memorable and it makes people kind of root for you along with us because they know they're supported in their work and it makes them, I think, more likely to honestly say what they really think because right. they want to offer a treatment if they think there's no way it's going to be feasible because it won't ever happen because you've mm. got a call insurance company. It's a drug trial. It's there's so many steps to it. Once I have a good relationship with the physician, we start oh. being able to really think creatively for some of these really tough patients because they know that the follow through is there because that's where my accountability lies get, we'll, we'll get the ball over the line, whatever that goal is, however I can affect it, we're going to affect it.
0: And you have the knowledge and medical background right. to understand what's going on, understand the health aspects, but yep. also the system. Yeah, there's a the shorthand.
1: Yeah, yeah, excuse me. Yeah, absolutely. There's a shorthand.
0: So the
1: physician and the nurses can speak to me very plainly. Mm. And I'm also a man- I'm also managing a lot of the emotional support piece. And yeah. so from efficiency, it sounds cold, but from an efficiency standpoint, an oncologist can just talk to me. Right. It'll it 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 could be truly a 45 second conversation for that mm-hmm. person. If they had been having that conversation directly with the patient, it would have been much, much larger endeavor because of all of the emotions involved. Sure. I also deeply understand the emotional piece. So I, that's where I'd be able to translate. So there's translation of what the actual drugs mean, the receptors, the drugs act on the physiology. Mm. There's that translation and teaching that I like to do for my clients. But there's also the emotional translation. I know that oncologist has deep feelings and wants their patient right. to have the highest quality of life and the longest life. They get to just download that information to me yeah. in a dry manner. And then together we can have a conversation with a patient that's a lot more skilled because they know I'm going to handle that piece of it.
0: Right. Versus the doctor trying to tiptoe around and, and deliver something gently that's not gentle.
1: Yeah. Or thinking they're saying something in an emotionally skilled mm. way, but right, God bless them, they are not emotionally sure. skilled. <laughs> sure. And, yeah. And so they're doing their absolute best, right? Yeah. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of gentle changes to phrasing and gentle reminders of who the patient is and who they're talking to that can occur that can completely change the relationship with the physician. And that's the most satisfying thing to me is that almost like mediation work. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. So who are your typical clients or who would benefit most from having a medical advocate or working with you? So I would say that there's two main camps. One are people that don't have
1: life and death health issues. They're they're not, say, permanently disabled from their condition or having uh, a threat to the length of their life. However, their time and their stress is worse Mm -hmm. having someone like me who can probably get things done in a quarter of the time that they would spend doing it themselves personally. I'm probably going to do it far more effectively because I already know the system. And so I'm I'm a person on their team. So they delegate health related administrative tasks to me and I take care of it. And so they might just have some pretty simple things to manage but I'm able to take care of those for them the other group i would say of clients that i take are people for whom their health is the 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 largest thing on their mind on any given day for any number yeah. of reasons perhaps for their quality of life or perhaps because they have a new terminal diagnosis that mm-hmm. they're navigating and for those folks i'm I'm involved in their care, not just as a time saver, but as a, say, diagnostic advocate. So they've been given one diagnosis. They've been given the treatment, but nothing's changing. Oh, yeah. Symptoms are still there. The fatigue is crushing. Mm. The, The headaches absolutely will not go away, continue to be unable to work. So the question becomes, do we have the right diagnosis? Right. Or if we have the right diagnosis, what's the next step in the treatment plan? And sometimes the the physician who originally, the provider that originally diagnosed you, that, that was it. That's what they had to offer. And you might not realize that you it's time to move on at that point. You can go to right. somebody else, Circle back to the first physician and have a conversation, but you might realize that it's time to bring another specialist in here. Either even within specialties, there's subspecialties and then micro specialties. Mm-hmm. Subspecialties, right? Yeah. And so it takes research to find the right fit. And so in that way, you can navigate improving your diagnosis or improving your treatment for what does turn out to be the correct diagnosis. But it's all worth questioning if you're not getting the results that you should from retreatment.
0: Right. And I would think it would be so difficult as someone dealing with a chronic illness or terminal illness mm-hmm. just to even muster the, the energy to go there <laughs> and to try and navigate Absolutely. that. So Absolutely. doing that on your own or even having a family member try and do it for you mm-hmm. would be completely overwhelming and exhausting when you already have, you know, nothing left in the tank.
1: Absolutely. I, what I'm hoping to do for people is to let them be the patient. Yeah. Instead yeah. of the scheduler the medical researcher the insurance specialist you could go on and on and on but yeah so when the the client or the say the children of the aging parents that have hired me for their services you guys let me know the priority and then I will take care of all the logistics from there and I'll check back in with you at whatever intervals you want. So some people are, say, minimum contact. Just let me know when we've achieved the goal. More than happy to do that. Some people want to have, you know, every couple of days we check back in and we find out where we're at the process and they're kind of closer to steering the ship. But yeah, you can let me know. We want to have this diagnosis reevaluated by another specialist. And then I'm going to come back to you with a list of three physicians that can see you within the next two months, say pulling pulling Mm -hmm. that out of the air, but can see you within the next two months to take another look at your condition. Or maybe sometimes I get lucky and I'm able to get a physician to review your case without Mm -hmm. even having you sit in front of them. Yeah. And then get kind of a an extremely offhanded preliminary Mm -hmm. report of what might be happening just because of the relationships I already have with so many different specialists. And then that can guide us before we've even used your energy to
0: show up. At the doctor's office that's amazing because i'm sure that most people wouldn't have access to those people necessarily
1: no and although i will say you'd be amazed what can happen if you ask so even if you're not able to or you don't want to work with a medical advocate it doesn't hurt to ask i mean email addresses are available online for people so if you have something that you're researching for yourself medically some interest that you have find the study on the internet yeah. and then go to the end of the study and then find the email address of the people involved in the study. Usually the first author, second author, third author tend to be the people that are going to be the most closely involved with the, the theory behind the study. Right. Email them your story, see what happens. You'd be amazed actually what amount of information you're able to get because if your condition matches the clinical interest mm. of a very active researcher, yeah, you actually have something valuable to provide them
0: as well. That's really cool. I had no idea. That would never yeah. have occurred to me.
1: You could get you could get some off the cuff thoughts from some of the deepest thinkers in your specific condition without any of the rigmarole. It it has happened. It doesn't always happen, but it sure. has happened, that's and amazing. it's amazing.
0: Absolutely worth trying. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah, that's a fun. I want to jump back a little bit and talk about the emotional aspect of this uh-huh. because I think knowing you and you being a very empathic person. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit into that and the just the importance of people caring for their mental and emotional health through this, whether they're the patient or the caregiver. Yeah. um, And how that factors into what you're doing with them in the advocacy role.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I feel like backing up and telling my mom's story a little bit because she, I think, had a life story that is very helpful to this conversation and it molded my initial outlook on being a nurse and then now informs the way I want to be here in you know the second act of my life as I as I get older and have my own children and move forward in life so my mother was my absolute role model growing up and she was and continues to be the most giving person i've been in relationship with it was it was a level of selflessness that embedded in me that that is how you are a good person. First of all, she adopted three children who had been ravaged by the foster care system. These are my three older siblings and endured horrors before she adopted them, adored them, loved them. They're absolutely my family members. And when I was born into this family, I immediately, like from birth, because somehow I was born after she didn't have children for twenty years, <laughs> no nope, birth control. Then at forty, all of a sudden she had a child, and that was me. And I had three older brothers and sisters that had had an in- an extremely different early childhood experience. So adopted at age six, adopted at age five, and adopted at nine months. But had already had three different foster families at nine months, even coming in. Yeah, and so I was born knowing that there are extremely different life circumstances. I didn't have to learn that because my family taught me that. And I was born knowing you can make an enormous difference in somebody's life by first of all, acknowledging the experience that they're having and then by taking action. And so I am forever grateful for being born into that experience and for knowing that in my bones Mm. from Always understanding where my blessings lie, where my privilege lies. The next part, though, was having to understand where those boundaries lie. Because if you don't have skin around your spirituality and your empathy, you pour yourself out in such a way that is so inefficient, you can actually evaporate. And I watched my mother evaporate, essentially. I mean, I gave one example of within my family, the kind of empathy and service that she needed to provide emotionally for other people. She was also a third grade teacher. And uh, any child in her class that had looked like they had any financial issues that didn't look like They were having their hygiene needs met at home. I mean, before you know it, my mother was meeting all of those needs. And it was it was so beautiful, right? One example of that was a child that she knew was probably enduring physical abuse. And this was a third grade child that didn't know his own birthday, which was just wild, right? I don't actually know how you make it to third grade without knowing your birthday, but this is what my mother told me. And what I saw her do for this kid who, so this little boy loved Harry Potter. He learned to read in third grade with my mom. And he learned to read because he loved the book Harry Potter so much. And he got more and more into the story. And he lived in a poorer part of town where I grew up. And my mother orchestrated fake owls to deliver letters to this kid's trailer. I mean, it it sounds made up. Like, it sounds like if this was a movie plot, you'd throw it out because it's like two on the nose, right? Yeah. But so she got my brother, who was like 19 or something at the time, to bring letters to the kid's front door and say, an owl gave me this to give you. And inside the letter was a description of what a special, special boy he was and how there are greater things beyond the life that he lives and how... If he holds on to his goodness, like he'll continue, like this. This was one example of the kind of stuff my mother did. Amazing. By the way, she kept this up for two years. Eventually, this culminated into a trip to Target because she said that he won some contest. Oh my goodness! I assure you, he did not win a contest, but she created. The reality she wished existed for this child and there are a lot of things that can be true at the same time so i don't sure. begrudge a single act of goodness that she did for the world and I, I couldn't even begin to list all of them the problem was she had no skin for herself she's in heaven now god bless you mother She had no sense of what were her emotions and experiences and what were other people's emotions and experiences. Just too
0: porous, taking all that on.
1: Yeah. And I watched it happen. And she had no health habits to speak of.
0: (laughs) That's an exaggeration. But care was not an issue or nothing in her life.
1: No, what she was going to feed herself was 10th on the list. What exercise she was going to give her body was 10th on the list. She had separated herself from her body so long ago. Yeah, I don't think she had the possibility of beginning to understand what her lived experience was. She lived through other people and gravitated toward other people's emotional voids because filling them allowed her to experience that vicarious joy of their happiness for that moment right. reflecting back onto her. Okay. So that was my role model. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I and I didn't come close to creating an imaginary world for an abused 8-year-old boy for 2 years, okay? Like that I did not accomplish that level of service that she did, but that was very much my mindset. And anytime there was a problem, I felt the need to fill it. Mm. So when somebody needed money, regardless of whether that money was going to go to feed a drug habit, I had to fill it. Mm. So, you know, if a family member tells me they need $20 for gas and mayonnaise, but I'm pretty sure that money is going to get used for not gas and mayonnaise, I'm still giving them the $20 because I don't have an experience separate from them. I Mm -hmm. am having their experience or whatever they're projecting onto me. It pours you out entirely. And then you don't even want to know what's going on in your own body anymore because it's too scary. So it can be a really powerful gift because I would say that like my mother, I have A natural understanding of another person's emotional state without having to even speak. Not always, and it's not perfect, but often. A lot of nurses do.
0: Yeah. A lot. A lot. Just pick up on it automatically. A lot of nurses do.
1: Yeah. The other side of that is I have to hold on to my own because if I fall down into that emotional well with somebody, how then how are any of us going to get out? Right. Yeah. And yeah and my my mother's life ended early and I believe on a spiritual level that it mostly had to do with her inability to be inside her own experience
0: yeah. and
1: to allow other people to have the life that their soul, in my beliefs, you know, chose for this incarnation. And so there's a real balance. I think one of my missions in life and something that my business has allowed me to really explore is what is that balance between service and continuing to put fuel in your own ship, which has to keep running. And I'll always struggle with that. And I'll always be the person that enjoys filling somebody else's need. But I have learned now as I'm you know, approaching 40, I think I'm sort of learning. I'm trying to learn how to do that sustainably.
0: Yeah. I'm still learning that too. I can relate to that. I don't think it's it goes as deep with me as mm-hmm. it does for you necessarily, but I definitely am an empath. And I've really, in some cases, had to learn the hard way of how to create healthy boundaries how to manage my energy output inputs. You know, I have a background working in chronic illness and with Lyme disease patients. And when you're around that all the time, it can be really difficult to not take all of that on. These people are dealing with constant chronic problems and you're hearing about it 24-7. You really have to learn to create that partition between your work life and who you are in your personal life and your own health. Yep. You know, something I've learned about this is there's actually a bit of
1: ego, quite a bit of ego Mm. in the person that feels personally responsible for everyone else's pain. What saves me the most from the downsides of being an empath is the practice of humility because I didn't create the world. I didn't create illness. I didn't create pain. I didn't create joy. Mm. With my clients, I have learned I can no more take credit for their wins and their health gains than I can take credit for their pain. It isn't about me. Yeah. Right. So when I remind myself as I'm trying to care for somebody else and 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 it's not going the way I wish it would yeah. all the time in life. Right. And my loved ones, sometimes with my clients try to think I'm helping my clients. But, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes it doesn't go the way we want. When I'm able to remember my place in the world and remember that I'm a pencil in the hand of some force far greater than me, I think, I hope, I don't even really know, but I think. I know for sure I'm not God. That's what I know for sure. Yeah. So we're all here to learn something and we just try to make the next right decision on a daily basis and not self aggrandize beyond that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. That's a really beautiful way of of thinking about it and just a good perspective on like, yeah, there can be this ego piece that can come in. For sure. I think too, it's our learned experience, right? How we were raised, how we were brought up. If we were in a position, I think this is my struggle, if we've been in a position where we had to kind of hold things together or be the responsible person or manage someone else's emotions. Especially a kid trying to manage adult emotion. You can really easily take on that sort of inner belief which is completely subconscious, that, oh, I'm responsible. And if they do something wrong, it's because it was my fault. Or if something happens bad to them, it would be my fault, or I would somehow be responsible. Right. So this that fear-based origin of that, I think, as well, right? Absolutely. I think it's a tool
1: that children use because Mm. they are literally dependent on the peace of their environment. It makes sense for a child to proactively manage the emotions of people around them because Mm -hmm. they won't get food unless somebody puts it on their table. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like I'm thinking about my family members that were in the foster care system that, I mean, unbelievable stuff, you know, having a schizophrenic mother and not having reliable food access, things like that. There are things that we build for ourselves that make sense when we're children. And then there's a practice that I have to undergo for myself to realize, like, you sweet child. Thank
0: you. Yeah.
1: You did such a good job. You did such a good job because you needed that. (laughs) And now we're all grown up and we don't need that tool anymore. That was so relevant then. Yes. And now it's a part of the Russian doll that I am. That's a smaller doll and that's a memory now. And that pain is done don't have to re-experience that pain because I already did it and I did a great job. And now my bigger shell, my almost 40 year old shell here, that's what's on the front. And I don't need those tools anymore because I got my own job. I got my own house. I got my own responsibilities. I'm not taking on your shit. Yeah, I've got my own. I'm a grown up. I've got my own stuff. So that skill can ride in the back of the bus. Not in the front of right, the bus anymore. Just doesn't necessarily serve us. That's right. Because well. 40-year-old me is driving this bus. And doesn't that translate into so many areas of our lives? So many. I mean, right now we're talking about caring for other people, which is what I do for a living and what I know a lot of people are doing for their family members. There's a lot of people, especially women, who are not only caring for their children and trying to maintain careers, but they then have aging parents or you know, aging family members or ill family members. And I'm going to say this wrong, but I heard something about it. it's like the sandwich generation or something. Mm. They're still responsible for their children. Yeah. But they're now responsible for their uh, We're all getting punished for not getting married and having children at 20, I guess. I don't know. You did it at 20. Your mom would be 40 by the time yeah. the kid's graduating high school. And in just, you know, a generation and a half, my friends are often having kids at 40. I had my last kid at 35. So if my parents were still with us, then I absolutely would be contending with their age-related issues and my own children's. And I think something that I tell my clients that find themselves in that situation, well, I mean, first of all, obviously, I want people to know that you can hire help. Yeah. For so many more things than than you might imagine. I mean, yes, you can hire someone to like drive your mom to an appointment, but you can also hire someone, a medical advocate, to make the appointment, to help decide what the right appointment is to begin with, yeah. to organize the medical records before the appointment, to physically attend the appointment with your mom, to help your mother learn how to use my chart and virtual visit options, or just do it for her if that's just not even worth trying to do. So, first of all, you can hire help. So, it's good for people to know it's out there.
0: Hello, nutrition editors. If you've been listening and you're ready to put this work into practice in your own life, head over to joliverwellness.com and book a free 30-minute chat to learn more about coaching with me or to check out my self-study programs. I also invite you to join my email list where you'll hear from me a few times each month with recipes and strategies for reducing stress, improving your metabolic health and working out smarter, not harder. Subscribers will also receive exclusive offers on my programs that I don't share anywhere else. And you'll get early access to registration for my Body Liberation Together group program. I look forward to connecting with you and let's get back to the show.
1: That's not an option for everybody though. Mm -hmm. And that's the hardest part about the work that I do and is that I wish that I was able to serve more people. Mm -hmm. But the other thing to remember is that you know what a C is an okay grade. You don't have to get an A in everything. You don't yeah. have to get an A at every single part of your life. My best friend used to say C's get degrees. I was more or less an A student. She was more or less a C student. Well, paint <laughs> and broad strokes here. And you know what? She's got a college degree and I've got a college degree. Yeah. I was looking at myself- transcripts anymore, right? <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody cares. Um, like I made myself physically ill before exams. She did not. She was watching <laughs> Sex and the City before her exams just to totally date myself. OK, she did not miss the finale of Sex and the City when it aired in order to try to get an A instead of an A minus on some biology test. Like, yeah, she had it right. And I think this applies to our conversation because, yeah, it would probably go better if these over-functioning women, I'm one of them, handled every single part of every single thing to prevent any ounce of pain for all the people in their life. Yes, it probably would go better. Does it have to? First of all, it's not possible. Second of all, people deserve to have their full life experience. You can try to pad their pain, but their soul is here for a reason. Yeah. You can't be the pillow between them and their experience all the time, right? And if something gets done but it's a 75% instead of a 95%, that is damn good. Another day in the books, check. <laughs> Move it on. Like it does not. It really doesn't have to be perfect.
0: In fact, it can yeah. be very very imperfect and that's yeah. still okay. And you and I in our work together, we have talked about that sort of all or nothing mindset that people fall into so 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 easily that I'm either doing the thing 100% I'm all in or the wheels have fallen off the bus and I'm completely off the rails that's right that's right How has doing this work changed your perspective on your own self-care and health and how you take care of yourself since that wasn't modeled for you that oh that's such a great question because just to continue honoring and using
1: my mother's life story as a warning I suppose god bless you mom (laughs) <laughs> so she passed away, and I was left thinking that my destiny was to fill her shoes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And oh my god, when she passed away, did I learn the amount of overfunctioning that she was in the middle of? Because she just passed away right in her sleep. She just oh, well, wow. here one day, gone the next. It was horrifying. She was my best friend, and well, she was everybody's best friend. I mean, in my little world, everything stopped that day, and it was. Just a void and grief, and all, all the things you can imagine. And I then started a journey. So that was at 23. I started a journey of figuring out, first of all, how to fully function because my mom did so many things for me, too, of course. Mm-hmm. And then how to maintain this legacy of service to other people empathy to trying to right the wrongs that we see around us to try to acknowledge a privilege. She didn't have that terminology because this was so long ago, but she would have. And how to survive, because in my opinion, she knew that first part so well, but she didn't know how to actually survive this life. And so the way I have started to paint how to survive this life was, first of all, from a whole lot of therapy. And what my therapist did with me was constantly redirect me to my body Dang. over and over and over again. What I, I had a few therapists, not to brag, but I had a few therapists and I've gone to like I have a Ph.D. in personal therapy. And one therapist told me that they felt something that was going to be really important for me and I think is probably important for other empaths that function codependently like I did and, and have to work to not do today is to reclaim your own intuition. So there's a divorcing that happens in your your gut feeling, right? If you feel bad in your body, especially as a child, and there's nothing you can do to right the situation, there's probably a good reason that you feel bad in your body. Your body actually talks to you. This sounded crazy to me, right? Like I have a master's degree in biology. Like I This is I was not uh, I didn't believe you could speak to yourselves and they would quote speak back to you when I started this journey. However, I have learned that you can and that it will speak back to you because when your body feels bad and there's nothing you can do to change it as an adaptive method, as a survival method, especially children, you leave your body. You, You just leave. And if that pattern stays in place like it did for me for 25 years, when you first are being introduced to the idea that no, you should be in your body, you don't even know that your body has anything to set it. You don't even know what your feelings are. I would have panic attacks with no discernible trigger. Hmm. Panic attack as though I'm, you know, watching someone die right in front of me and I had no idea what initiated it. And I mean, there were some things to choose from. But I had no idea. The timeline had no bearing to my physical experience. And so what my therapist did over and over and over again was say, describe the physical sensations inside your body. And it, it took a few years. yeah. And I would, I don't know, what? and it felt so ridiculous and it was so uncomfortable. And what I learned to do was, this is what I, this is what I told my friend who just started therapy. I told her, you just got to squish in it.
0: It <laughs> the it's
1: so uncomfortable it but you just gotta like it's like you're in wet shoes you know <laughs> yeah. just wiggle your toes around and just squish in yep. it for a minute and and say like what is going on inside my body and that was the first step toward that work seems so simple and like silly And I didn't even know what I was doing, but I started to say like, well, I guess I feel tightness in the upper left side of my chest, but not like a heart attack. I mean, I'm not sick. I mean, I don't need attention. Like I don't need anything, but you know, all these. It's not a big deal. Yeah. It's not a big deal. And then eventually, you know, six months later, I'm saying like, I think I see purple running in a line down my left arm. And that was a, that was an, an exercise that eventually got me to the point where someone would say something to me and I would just know that the answer to what they were asking was no.
0: Mm-hmm. It
1: came from deep within me. Do you want to um, stop by and get this food before we go pick up our other friend? From deep within me, I would say no, I don't want to do that. I would really like to go get these people picked up because I need to, get to bed. Yeah so to answer your question in a very big way, that was the journey. that was the beginning step that was the initial direction of the shit. and then it has blossomed from there to being able to have employees to fire employees mm-hmm. kindly sure because that's who i am i mean that's a gift i mean i was born you're caring compassionate deeply. person yeah. i was born caring deeply i've learned that's not the part i have to try to be <laughs> right thank <laughs> you so i had to work on that what i got to try to do is live this life because if you're a highly sensitive person like i am like it's a jungle out there yeah
0: Absolutely, You, you got
1: to live this life and you got to survive this life and have all the answers. And it's not going to make perfect sense. And you can't be the solution to every single problem. You won't survive. You actually won't right. survive. People with deep, almost crippling empathy will, will understand everything that you and I are saying, Jeannie, because, yeah.
0: yeah, you got to be able to keep taking another step forward. I think another term that we can use for maybe not exactly the same thing, mm-hmm. but something similar is people pleasing. Oh, for sure. People that are, you know, diehard people pleasers. I see so many people pleasers in my practice. And it's no mystery that I see them in their, you know, late 30s, usually at the earliest to late 40s. And they've been people pleasing all their lives. And suddenly they reach a point where they're like, I feel horrible. Now I've got my own health challenges. Right. I've ignored my own needs yep. for decades. Oh, yeah. With this idea that I would be happy and fulfilled and okay right. if everyone else is happy, fulfilled, and okay, right. and actually, it does not work like that. That's it right. just doesn't work like that. And you, you mentioned something earlier when we were talking that compassion and empathy are very different things. Yes, absolutely. And we can be compassionate, we can be kind. Yep. But we can also say this. Does not work for me? Or this does. Yeah. And the piece about really getting in touch with our bodies is so huge. Last season I had, or first season, my first season, I had Nicole Field mm-hmm. on one of the shows. And she does somatic stress release therapy. And that is such incredible work. And I've done this with my own therapist, too. And actually, the therapist I see now is the first person I've seen who does those somatic, uses those somatic modalities where you're really getting into yeah. your body. And you know, I've mentioned the book with "The Body Keeps the Score." I've mentioned that in previous episodes, and it's so profound because we didn't really have a deep understanding. I don't think of that Mm -hmm. until quite recently, Mm -hmm. and it is really tough when you've sort of disassociated from your body for so long to really get back in and go, "Okay, where am I feeling this like emotion? Like, where is this living? If I'm talking about a certain experience or person or something." And I'm suddenly bursting into tears. Like, where is that right. living in my physical body? And trying to identify that, yeah, and then release it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, it is not easy, especially for those of us who tend to really be up in our heads. But once I was able to start practicing that more, it does get easier. Yes. So those of you who haven't done that and want to, yeah, it's yes. sticky and uncomfortable at first and squishy. You got it. Yeah. But it gets easier. And man, it's amazing because it gets quicker. You're able to identify that much more rapidly and readily and say, Mm -hmm. no, that doesn't work for me. Yep. Here's an alternative. Absolutely. And often I find, too, when we're really true to ourselves, if something doesn't work for us, it often doesn't work for everybody else either.
1: Especially people that are highly empathetic. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're picking up on something that's much bigger than you, too. That's a good point. And I think people that are very empathetic, people pleasing, I think they can be wonderful leaders,
0: actually, because they
1: come at it. So, yes, I'm just I'm just absolutely underlining everything you're saying. I I want people to know that if if you're if you found yourself in a situation like I did, you can experience direct joy. You aren't relegated to only experience vicarious joy from creating some temporary peace in the people around you you know, and powerful. Oh, I had to go back. Oh, the all the therapy genies. I was in the therapy. Okay, And another therapist had me go back to remembering my earliest memories of direct joy, Mm. because any time I described happiness, it was very social and relational. And that's me. And that's good. But it was because I had accomplished something else for someone else. My mom talked about some of her happiest moments. It would be seeing that child's face who received a letter from an owl from the Harry yeah. Potter universe. That was her happiest memory. And that is beautiful, but that's not actually hers. Mm. Like, what, what direct joy did you experience in your body? Like, what sunlight did you feel on your own face, right? Mm. And that was just so interesting. And so interestingly, some of the only direct joy memories I could remember, it was all food. Yeah. Isn't oh, I can relate to that. Absolutely. Isn't that interesting, right? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. We're not alone in that. We're just- <laughs> it is so common. <laughs> because honestly, we live in a society that says women should be everything to everyone. <laughs> they should be high performing. That's right. All the things. That's right. A hot Mother Teresa. All, there you go. All the things I've talked about ad nauseum in this show and that I talk about with my clients constantly. But, you know, we can't do that. And we've sort of taken on this idea that it's not okay to have our own dreams, desires, and personal joys. Like, it's like if you're not a constant sacrifice or, you know, if something is just beneficial to you. Right. Or it's not okay to want to make good money, right? You know, right? It, sure. It's not okay. I mean, like, there's just this negative stigma that I don't see existing for men.
1: Yeah, I think their journey is a totally different place. Yeah. It is for me, anyway. I identify right. so strongly with a lot of classically feminine experiences. It is so interesting.
0: Not that men, of course, they have their own challenges, of course. But I just think that it's they. Do, that's not one common. Mm-hmm. I think, challenger expectation that I see on them yeah. As much. Yeah. If
1: yeah. I'm going to pretend to be an anthropologist, which I am not. <laughs> I think it's interesting that for 100,000 years, women's physical survival depended upon endearing oneself to those who were larger and more yeah, physically capable. Exactly. <laughs> right? If you want to take this, the child skills, it's really, they weren't going to get food Unless the people who did the hunting and were physically capable Mm -hmm. of killing a baboon or whatever brought it back and gave it to them. Yeah. So what we're trying to do in this generation is, I mean, I have a lot of respect for how human beings have gotten to this point, you know, and I don't I don't know that it helps me anyway to think to label things as good or bad that live within me. Because sure. I think they live within my cells. Like they live within yeah. my DNA. Yeah. My DNA somehow made yeah. it to 2023. God bless it. <laughs> right. Freaking journey. <laughs> yeah. this, this body, which I think of as like a gorilla, the sweet gorilla that my soul drives around. Like our brains have gone to this whole other non-physical place right. in modern life. But I'm still driving around essentially like a, you know, like a Model T Ford, like a little gorilla. Evolutionarily, and what's inside my cells was very, very important for a far longer period of time than, yes, in the decades of this technological age, right? Like, I don't, I don't need, generally speaking, I don't need my husband to protect me from being physically hurt in general, right? <laughs> in general, exactly. I'll speak for my own life. I don't, I have not had that issue come up in my own life. And yet, my cells want to I want to endear myself to him because I believe somehow that will happen.
0: Well, it's just a revolutionary prerogative, right? And that brings me back to, you know, the whole piece with the food because we're so stretched thin, we're so exhausted. And this is another thing I've talked about multiple times, but I don't think it can be overstated. Of course, we're finding joy. Food is naturally going to be a source of joy. I mean, that's built into us because that motivates us to eat food because we will stay alive and survive. That's right. And when we don't have many sources of joy in our life and fulfillment that's truly ours. Yeah. That moment that we sit down with the tub of ice cream. Right. Right. That might be it. Right. So why wouldn't you, why wouldn't your brain say, give me the fucking ice cream? The Kraft macaroni and cheese if you're exactly right, Whatever that might be. Yeah. Or the bag of salty chips. That's right. I mean, whatever it is that's going to give you that dopamine hit, that feeling of like momentary. Right happiness, joy, fulfillment, whatever. Like,
1: aren't I good? Yeah. Right. My my best friend, (laughs) God bless her, ended up with gestational diabetes and she had to give up sugar. And she is the most straight arrow. Like, she's never done a thing wrong in her life. And I'm not the same, but this is her. She's never (laughs) done a thing wrong in her life. I'm telling you, she's just, you know, she took her contacts out every night. She washed her face at at 8 p.m. She took her birth (laughs) control at 9 p.m. every single night. Like, She'd have half of one drink and then drive everybody home. I mean, she's just a good girl, period. And Dairy Queen soft serve ice cream is what she, it's her thing. Mm -hmm. And then she ended up with gestational diabetes in pregnancy. And I remember talking to her and she was sobbing. And it's so exactly this conversation because she said like, it's my one
0: thing. Like,
1: aren't I good? Like, aren't I
0: good? Yeah. Don't, Don't I, you know, deserve and the one it. thing. Yes. And I couldn't, I mean, I didn't have any answers. And that <laughs> idea of deserving. Mm-hmm. And I want to, I think that really ties into the work that you do. Because I think as people who do love whoever we're giving for, yeah. you know, yeah, you deserve to have help. You deserve to have your own life. Yeah, the context is. of someone else, be it your parent or child or whoever loved one that's dealing with health problems and i think we often don't feel like we deserve to have the help oh my god or we feel guilty for wanting help
1: sure and
0: that we've got we've got to release that we have to understand like that we are deserving of that joy yeah and self-care and rest like true
1: real rest oh yeah oh yeah i have a client right now you're making me think of that uh The daughter actually hired me to help her dad take care of her brother, Mm. if you're still with me. But so I get a front row seat to some of the most beautiful gifts that families give each other. And sometimes I am that gift. (laughs) So so the daughter found me online and hired me. And the dad, at first she said, this might be My dad has agreed reluctantly to have your services. But she told me, I want you to keep in mind that this is a huge source of self-esteem for my dad, that he takes care of my brother who has all these chronic health issues. And I appreciated that. And that's that is common. And over time, I've partnered with her dad. And I am his boots on the ground and yes. he is in charge and he is still taking care of his son because I yeah. don't know his son. The relationship is between them. But the, the greatest compliment my business can get and that we received was that he told me that he feels like his son's dad.
0: Oh, yeah! I just
1: got the head tingles. It was so sweet because he said, I, I forgot what it felt like to be his dad because he was physically cleaning him up after having bathroom accidents. I mean, he was all these things, right? And so now we have these systems in place and we do things and he knows what things he can just send to Sarah Jane because his job is to be his son's dad. Yeah, that's it. That's his job. And we go to the appointments together, but he just gets to show up to the appointment to support his son. I'm I've got the agenda. I made sure that doctor read his record before the appointment. I made sure that his dignity was protected when he needed a rectal exam. You know, like, I was like, right. no, we leave now. You know, so he just got to be his dad.
0: And I love doing that for people. Yeah, that's incredible. That really is a gift. Yeah, it really is a gift because that relationship would shift so, so much when you're now the full time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Caregiver and oh, gosh, you know. Oh, yeah.
1: And then and then you start to feel I heard a quote that I really like that said, choose guilt over resentment every single time.
0: Oh, I like
1: that. It's so bold that the codependent inside me was like you know when i first heard that but resentment is the the leading emotion that um uh, is recognized in research about divorce for example when you just like you think of them and your leading emotion is everything I've done for Uh, you, right? uh, Yeah. And so this kind of bold idea, choose guilt over resentment, whatever that means. Every once in a while, I I remember that if I want to take an extra 30 minutes, I come home to the kids or whatever because they don't want me to feel resentful to them, right? So where I can.
0: Yeah. 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 So how has that changed for you as far as the way that you practice self-care now Mm. and, and sort of protect your own Energy now in this current place in your life. Yeah. Comparatively to when you were working within the medical system. Yes. Like in it instead of around and outside of it or with it. (laughs) Yes. Well,
1: gosh. So another therapist gave me this wonderful practice where I have rocks that represent each of my clients. And there, I have kind of practices, like little spiritual traditions that I do. And so when there's, they I have these, I sound crazy, but I have these little rocks and I know their name <laughs> and they're my client's <laughs> names. Or they could also be, there's a rock for my child. There's a yeah. rock for my husband. Like they're actual rocks that I found. I live in West Seattle, like out on the beach, right? And, and when I am looping about something, when I'm worrying about something when I want to do more and more and more, but my body, I know my body is tired. I know my brain is just zinging. Then I pick up their rock and I will hold it in my hand. And I have the little face that I got at goodwill that that is who I give to God, hmm. what I call God. Right. And, and I hold it in my hand and I, and I, I, I find my higher self, like that deep, endless amount of empathy that god gave me and i know it's endless because it's not me because i'm mortal. Yeah, it yeah. comes from and the, spiritual much, the ocean it comes from the ocean It comes from this whole other place and i go there in my mind and i hold that rock and i squeeze it and i hold it and i say i pray and i say i want this like my son for example like that's so easy right but i'm just like please let him be safe like yeah. please let him be safe please let this issue not be a problem please let him have friends all those things and then I let it build to a fervor. And then I remind myself that I'm just immortal. I'm just a soul driving around this sweet little gorilla. And I can't do everything. And yeah. then I say, you got it. You got to have him, God. And then I put him in this other vase and he's there. So yes. I do rituals like that yeah. to close my time-blocked work day. Yeah. I also have a different cell phone for work. That's is a very yeah. practical yeah. reason. And sometimes I hear that phone ringing in the other room and it's a it's a discipline. Yeah. Someone is probably could be in the hospital. Right. But I my clients know when I'm available and when I'm not available. And sometimes I am available for people that are going to be in the hospital, but they will know if I'm available right. in the hospital when I was working before, before I had done all of this work, I took everything home with me all the time. I, I carried I carry these people around with me, people yeah. that passed away while I was on my shift, like I carried their souls in my car. Like i I took dead people with me home. You can't do that,
0: no, no,
1: they have their own life <laughs> exactly in wherever they went, you
0: know? yeah, so I feel like we could talk so there's so many layers to all of this, but I would love to know what advice do you have for those of us that have aging parents mm-hmm. and maybe on the cusp or in the yeah. midst of this caregiving place?
1: yes, so. We talked a lot about the importance, the difference between empathy and compassion. I'll, I'll touch it one more time and then give a few practical ideas. But um, empathy is literally feeling what another person is feeling inside their body. Mm-hmm. So you, you know that, oh, that wince, that like, oh, cringe feeling. Compassion is knowing that it's occurring and acknowledging it and wanting to take action to be of help. You don't have to necessarily through practice you cannot literally experience the pain right. that take it on are experiencing yeah and so that's once and to investigate practices to you know cord cut is a helpful meditation practice and some other things to not physically experience it with them because then you're no you're not helpful to them because your energy right. is now being poured into pain mm. um and they've got the pain covered they're checking it off they did it so Okay, and then I'll jump into some practical tips. Um, of course, as I've said, you can hire someone to help. You can delegate. Um, you might delegate to a hired person like me. You might delegate to other family members. You might have a brother or sister that is a loop in the situation. And in, you could find out like, what is their gift in life and how does it intersect with need? And give them that one piece, because the whole thing is too big for any one person, including you, if you're listening and this resonates with you. It's too big for you, too. So if there's something that person is good at and you can try to help them with that one piece, you might be amazed at how that can really build a sense of community and esteem. Because I also delegate to family members and stuff, too, depending on the dynamics and what people want. Another thing is to keep a timeline of medical events. It, the first time mom goes to the hospital, it feels so sentinel that you think you'll never forget. Right. You will forget. We'll forget. You will actually totally, Especially in the state of stress. Yeah. Totally forget. If there's a doctor you really connect with, write their name down. Mm-hmm. It sounds trite, but you it might be hard to find them again. They might go to a different practice. Yeah. Major scans, like an MRI that shows a tumor. You request a physical copy of that MRI mm. and start to maintain the big pieces of your mm. own medical record. You can retain your own pieces of that medical record. It can be enormously helpful in coordinating care down the line. Uh, doctors speak with a ton of confidence. They are confident in what they're saying, but they don't know you as well as you know you. Sure. They don't know your mom as well as you know your mom. They see one part of the elephant and they're speaking with great confidence if Every piece of data they have is accurate, number one. And number two, if they have a complete database of information to be speaking from, then that's probably a very helpful opinion. Rarely yeah. do they have wholly accurate or wholly complete data from which to opine. Remember that your intuition and your family members' intuition is far more important than any other person's opinion, regardless of how bright they are, or how long they went to school. Right. Lastly, be creative and be very open of whatever your parents say defines their quality of life. Be very open to what matters to them. So for example, I have the same, I keep talking about my best friend, my same friend. So she has a dad that has early onset dementia and his life was about hanging out at the bar with his friends. Now, With his laundry list of illnesses, should he be drinking beer every day? No, probably not. No, no, he really shouldn't. But they've made that a key part of his care plan. (laughs) And she is in the blessed position to pay for his bar tab down the street from his nursing home. Mm -hmm. And that is just one example of a way that she has allowed his definition of quality of life to lead his care. And that
0: can be really hard. Oh, wait, that could oh, be so hard. Oh, I've got gosh, it's so hard personal experience with that, with family, that knowing what I know, I could help them. They don't want it. They don't want it. They, they want, want to have just... Coke and ice cream. That's right. And they don't really have any interest in reversing diabetes or anything like that. And it's not up to me. It's not what their soul It's just as... not up to me. And I had to really is... step back and go, guess what? Not your job. It's their life. If this is what gives them a little joy in their day, like, and that's what they choose. Okay, great, let it go. And it was really difficult, really difficult because it's like, I know all the things that could actually fix this and da da da, right? And again, it's that ego that comes into play. So anyway, that's just an aside. I want to waste more time on that. Um, Those are really, really excellent tips. And I think too, you know, if the piece about listening to your intuition and your gut feeling, I think if you're so exhausted and depleted from giving of yourself, it's really hard to hear that voice. Oh my gosh, yes. And to connect with that intuition because you're just, you don't know what's fear, what's anxiety, what's right. intuition, what's that still small voice, so to speak. Yes. Like, And what is just fear? Right. right. It's so hard to distinguish and differentiate. And so that's another piece that I encourage you, if you're listening and going through these things, like the self-care is so crucial because yes, it's for you. But it is also for everyone else too. And oh yeah, you know, if you've got nothing left, then right. It's not helpful. And if you start hating
1: everyone around you, you know, yeah. That your ultimate goal is to care for. I mean, it's that resentment piece. Like that is a that's a later sign. The resentment right. is a later sign. If you're at that place already, it's time to yes. really think about
0: what you aren't getting. For sure. And that brings me to the next topic that I wanted to touch on, which is, you know, what in everything that you've seen throughout your career and in your work now, what do you think are the most crucial preparations or precautions that we can take mm. from to set ourselves up for a better, you know, late life or possibly long-term care?
1: Oh my gosh, this is, this is so good. So after spending, you know, almost two decades in healthcare, not almost two decades, actually, it, wow, it has been 20 years that I've worked in. Intense healthcare settings, the first thing you can try to do is stay away <laughs> from traditional American healthcare. Oh boy. Um, yeah. I, you know, and I say that to be funny, I mean I have deep respect and gratitude and you know, all the rest for all the people and all of the systems that us smart human beings have created and published and all these things, right? But truly, if it's something very minor, if it could be fixed with anything besides uh, a pharmaceutical intervention, try that first. I have no judgment about pharmaceutical interventions. I personally use pharmaceutical interventions for my mental health, for example. Yeah. It is it is that you want to make sure that there was nothing else that could have helped you first. You mean
0: like preventative measures?
1: Like, like style, I mean, nutrition, really diet, exercise. It is medicine. Yes. It is what, our bodies cannot be more than what we put into it and what we do with it. It actually can't. It's a, it's a physical law, right? Yeah. It it is, it is whatever you put in it and whatever you physically do with it. And I think that the people that I've met who practice the best preventative medicine tend to be very connected to their body's experience mm. and incredibly respectful of their body's lived experience. Yeah. And so, I mean, it really all ties back together. Um, and so yeah, if anything besides traditional American healthcare can help you, do that first. If physical therapy is an option, do that one. If there's any symptoms of depression or anxiety that could be associating mm-hmm. with combining to amplify your physical symptoms, which is very common. Yes, yeah, look into that. Yeah. Another thing that I love to always teach people, especially um people that are still. Younger, and by younger, when I'm if if a nurse tells you you're younger, it just means you're not 75. By the way, (laughs) Um, you feel really young. If you talk to me, you're going to feel so young. I'm going to be like, oh, you're young. You know, you're 68. I'm like, oh god, you're young. Um, So density of uh, muscle in your glutes and your Mm -hmm. quads. Yes, that one indicator. So like, if you were to you know cut a core, sorry, graphic, but like pull a core of muscle out Mm -hmm. and study it. How strong and how dense that muscle is, is the best indicator of how independent you will be as an elderly person. Mm. And it comes down to such a simple thing. You got to be able to get up from a chair. Yeah. Yeah. Or manage stairs, for example, but really sitting up from a chair. And all that is is a reverse squat, but resistance training for women, because we lose our density faster than men do, but it's important for everybody. But like just some good squats, like some good, strong, Buns and legs yes. will add to your quality of life more than you could imagine. Big There's studies. This
0: books. is published. Yes. People. <laughs> this
1: is published. Big butts. <laughs> it's published. It's good. Get some muscle. Get some. I know. How uh, so many
0: times have I said that? Everyone's like, "Stop already with this." But no, it's That's so true. So good. It's absolutely true. And it metabolizes your stress. It metabolizes everything. Yeah. I mean, that is yeah. our metabolic currency. Yeah. But that's a whole other conversation. We won't go to that. It breaks down all this stuff that's just there. There. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and dementia, you know, we've mentioned that. That's such sort of, oh God, it's just so common now. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the best things that you can do is have really good insulin sensitivity. And the more muscle mass you have, the more insulin sensitive you are. So that is the best thing that you can do for yourself is build and maintain as much muscle mass as possible. Yeah. I feel like I know that you've got to get going, so I want to be respectful of your time. Any really like last thoughts that you have for us? And then I want you to let us know where everyone can find you. We may have to do a whole separate episode on navigating insurance. I don't know. or other oh, girl, just to- let's a do it. Absolutely. <laughs> <Pull>. you, <laughs> want
1: to talk, you want to talk nerd? To let's do this. That's a lot to unpack. Oh, God, let's talk about money. I can talk about money all day. <laughs> t- I can talk about
0: money all day. It's yeah. so crazy. Yes, yeah. there's so many
1: ways to try to save money on healthcare. God, I could talk about that forever.
0: Yeah. So any last thoughts that you want to make, make mm-hmm. sure you leave listeners with? Goodness. Um don't be
1: intimidated. They are not smarter than you. Mm. Your healthcare providers don't know more than you know about yourself. Our knowledge as healthcare providers tends to be very, very, very deep in very certain subjects. Yep be that a phase of care like hospital or clinic, be that a specialty like autonomic neurology, they don't know the breadth. Your job is to take all the best information. They work for you, yes. remember. They serve you. You are the king. They are your advisors. You are Daenerys Targaryen, okay? <laughs> they are your counsel. You will decide with the information given to you. You don't follow them. You decide based on info they give you.
0: I love that. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. So tell everybody where they can find you. Yes. And I'll put all of this information in the show notes to everybody so you don't have to remember it. Wonderful. Okay. So my
1: business is called Lighthouse Healthcare Navigation. And I also work with an incredible company that I must mention called Gray Zone Health for people struggling with rare neurologic, endocrine, and other disorders complex. Grayzone Health is the best place to find me for non-rare disease work, lighthousehealthcarenavigation.com. And my name is Sarah Jane Yang. If I didn't mention yeah. that before, you can also
0: find me just good old-fashioned Google. Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. This was fantastic information and empowering, you know, yeah. and hopeful. So thank yes. you so much for sharing all of this with us. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey there, thanks for hanging out with me today. And if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave me a quick review. Also, check out the show notes for links to connect, follow and share this podcast and for information featured in each episode. See you next time. I am not a doctor and the content here should not be taken as medical advice. All information in this podcast is for informational purposes only, does not constitute medical advice and does not establish any kind of practitioner or coach-client relationship. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Do not disregard medical advice or delay seeking medical advice because of information you hear in this podcast or any other, and do not start or stop any medications without speaking to your health provider. Always seek the advice of a qualified health practitioner before undertaking a new health regimen. This podcast and website represents the opinion of Jeannie Oliver and guests to the show. Opinions of guests are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Genie Oliver Wellness LLC or our producers.